Hi folks and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. A little bit of housekeeping before we kick off. Obviously, I'm about to ask you to help us keep the show on the road. We need you to click the link that says patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. Take the 30 seconds to join us and help keep the conversations like the one you're about to listen to keep happening. The Tortoise Shack has no ads, no sponsors, but unfortunately for you, it has me pleading with you to help us pay it forward. But if you join, all of that goes away. You get all of our podcasts, including lots and lots of patron-only exclusives, in one consolidated feed, completely plea-free. It's less than the price of a pint nowadays, but it's the only way we keep the lights on, bills paid, mics on, and keep the show on the road. So as I repeatedly say, it is the easiest bit of activism you can do on a monthly basis. If you're not in a position to contribute at the moment, please check out our new podcast, The Palcast, One World, One Struggle, with Dr. Yusuf Al-Jamal, who is a Palestinian writer who you'll have heard on the Echo Chamber several times. Yusuf is a brilliant, brilliant writer, and I was delighted to be asked to work with him and his longtime collaborator and friend, Helena Coben. So if you can, please check it out, because I think it's really important that we have Palestinian voices talking about what's happening in Palestine. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. I am begging you to please join us and help us keep this show on the road. But I am going to shut up now. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Reboot Republic, the podcast that goes behind the headlines and looks at the big issues in this republic of inequality. We are the podcast of solutions and the podcast of hope. And I'm delighted today to be joined by Professor Mary Lawner, who is a um, special rapporteur on human rights defenders and is also an adjunct professor of the Business and Human Rights in the Centre for Social Innovation in Trinity College. Um, Mary has worked for a long time in the area of human right, rights. She founded in 2001 the Frontline Defenders the International Foundation for the Protection of Human Rights Defenders, and was also a director of the Irish Secretary Section of Amnesty International. Mary, thanks so much for joining us today on Reboot Republic. Thank you for having me. Mary, what's your assessment of where we are at at the moment in terms of Gaza and the war that is ongoing and the human rights situation? Well, I come at it, as you know, from a human rights perspective, from a rule of law perspective and from a justice perspective. And what is going on at the moment in Gaza is collective punishment um, of a civilian population who are caught between uh, Israel and, and Hamas. And it is clear that international human rights law and international humanitarian law is being broken. It's clear that war crimes are being committed. And it is also clear that um, there is a risk of genocide. It seems to me, you know, when you say a risk of genocide, could you explain what you mean by that? Well, you know, the Geneva Convention was developed precisely to deal with the conduct of uh, uh, parties to a conflict. Um, uh, Yeah, and um, the, the two things that are very important is the protection of civilians and the restriction on parties to to uh, conflict. And as we know, um, even before the 7th of, uh, and I've been to Gaza and West Bank twice, even before the 7th of October, there has been a blockade and there has been 
an occupation of uh, uh, of of uh, Gaza. So there has been deep and de- decade-long uh, violations of the uh, human rights of Palestinian people under occupation. So, uh, so uh, when you talk about um, genocide, it is a very, very um, high bar. But when when you look at you know there's over eleven thousand civilians have been killed, over four thousand children have been killed. We don't even talk about them in units anymore because they keep going up every day. And one of the one of the things is that you know particularly children should have a special protection under under the um, under the convention, and if if Israel cannot distinguish, I mean, with 11,000 uh, children, 11,000 people being killed, mainly civilians, if they can't distinguish between civilians and combatants, it, it, it looks like a whole uh, population is being oppressed. And then we see also 1.1 um, people being forced to move. And that in itself is a crime against humanity. We know, for example, that People with disabilities, uh, their caregivers are gone. They don't have access to medicine. We've, you know, we've seen the hospital system collapse. We've seen the bombing of shelters and uh, in hospitals, um, uh, around hospitals. We've seen uh, 780,000 people sheltering in UNRWA facilities and 561 have been injured in those facilities and 66 killed. And UNRWA gives their coordinates to both sides of the conflict. So everything is pointing to a, 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 uh, an oppression of, a, you know, a particular set of people by another set of people. And I think it's our job as uh, rapporteurs and independent of the UN system to 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 uh, sound the alarm bells. And in terms of what you can do within the rapporteur system, within the United Nations system, Mara, what can you do? Well, you know, we don't have any real power. Uh, the Security Council is the one with the real power and we know that that is uh, used for strategic interests of the Security Council members. Um, but the rapporteurs are a system whereby we we all have our own, our own uh, mandates. My mandate is the protection of human rights defenders. And if you look at the, what's happening to human rights defenders in Israel and in uh, the occupied territories, the Israeli human rights defenders are telling us that there, there is a, a real fear in Israel. Um, it's not just the, a fear in the general population uh, as, uh, because of the fact that Hamas was able to come in and kill 1,400 innocent civilians and injure 3,300 and take 200 hostages, which is a war mm. crime as well. So yeah. there's that fear, but there's also a fear in the population of a conflict developing. And also this, nobody, uh, the Israeli human rights defenders say that everyone is afraid to speak out 
against what is happening. Even even it is something small like saying civilian population should needlessly suffer, because uh, that now that is um, all of that is being repressed by the Israeli government. And when you come to the defenders in Gaza, like Raji Sarani, who who runs the Center for uh, Palestinian Center for Human Rights, his house was bombed. Um, he uh, today, uh, or maybe yesterday, so hard to keep up. But the uh, Gongo, you know what a Gongo is? It's a government NGO. It's it's not an independent NGO. But there's a Gongo called NGO Monitor, based in Switzerland, and they put a picture of a Palestinian Center for Human Rights reps um, um, uh, rucksack, linking it with the terror attack. And this is smearing, and this is what's happening to the uh, human rights defenders who are trying desperately to monitor what is what is going on in 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 right across um, Gaza and collect evidence so that maybe someday people might be uh, brought to account and maybe they will have enough um, evidence for the UN Commission of Inquiry, which has already said it's uh, you know war crimes are going on and the International Criminal Court. Now, we got a text this morning and he said, you know, the, he's in Khan Yunus. He finally got to Khan Yunus. He started twice, but Israel was shooting from the sea, the people on the road uh, trying to make their way uh, south. And he said, you know, there's so many dead bodies along the roads. The hosp- it's the hospital's place to collect the dead bodies. Yeah. But that's not functioning. And there's hundreds of bodies in the streets for the last two weeks. And 60% of Gaza City in the north has been destroyed, the streets, the infrastructure. And tens of thousands are stuck in Gaza City. They're afraid to move because they're afraid of being killed along the way. And there's no electricity or gas and there's very little food and bakeries are running out of bread. And uh, for the general population, which isn't wealthy, um, they rely on bread. Water is water, of course, is a big issue as well. And the hospitals, the hospitals have stopped functioning. I mean, uh, the 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 fact that exhausted doctors have to operate in in corridors and in in um, in uh, in well in hospitals by flashlight and without anaesthetic. Is 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 so inhuman that you know that medical supplies and hospitals should never be a target. Schools should never be a target. UNRWA buildings should never be a target. And um, there's just too many direct hits on these. And we're seeing what's going on. And as ordinary citizens, you know, we're absolutely disgusted and horrified. We feel in many ways powerless. And for example, you know, we're supporting, you know, solidarity demonstrations and I've been part of them and trying to show that, you know, the public wants ceasefire and wants the governments to act stronger. Do you think Western governments, particularly starting with the EU governments, could be doing more and what could they be doing to stop stop this war? I think there has to be, and you ask, you know, what us as rapporteurs can do. We just can keep saying the same thing over and over again, that there needs to be a ceasefire. There needs to be free humanitarian access for food. There needs to be few, like the newborn babies. Three of them have died 
because they haven't got fuel for the incubators uh, or whatever it takes to power for the incubators. And those babies, you know, they need to be kept at a certain temperature and some of them have diseases which they're now transmitting to the other babies. So there's going to be probably more deaths. And then you see the little white shrouds being carried by the fathers. It's just merciless and heartbreaking and everyone feels the same. I know that. So there just has to be a ceasefire. There has to be uh, the release of the hostages and uh, there has to be some sort of open humanitarian um, corridor, particularly for the sick and the disabled and pregnant women and children into West Bank and Israel and East Jerusalem because they're mainly refugees from there in in Gaza. Um, So when it comes to Western governments, they they really took their time, and uh, it, the 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 pressure has. Uh, you know, I was I was at the General Assembly in New York the first week, and even on CNN there was nothing uh, about the situation in Gaza for probably about six days. Not not much anyway, and yeah. uh, and it was all about Israel. Uh, so, so there needs to be a coming together on humanitarian grounds to uh, to stop this killing of all these innocent people, um, and to to start some sort of political renewal about a way forward. It's violence is not the answer. We'd like, I mean, you know, Israel has bombed Gaza several times, and you know, Hamas and uh, uh, the security forces have been really um, fighting each other for a very long time uh, and clearly it hasn't worked. So violence is not the answer. There has to be some sort of political renewal, in my view, um, to try and come to some sort of arrangement which will stop this destruction of life. What we're seeing now is different, though, on scale and level of of massacre, of destruction of homes, of buildings and infrastructure in Gaza. We haven't seen anything like this. No, we haven't. And even, you know, the the UNRWA staff who are heroes in my in my view, because they're really human rights defenders. They well, they they've been operating right through the crisis and a hundred and two of them have been killed. And uh, and uh, that's the the most number of UN staff in any conflict since the UN um, was set up, you know, um, years ago. It, it, uh, there, you know, we have to try and keep building the pressure. Everyone, we have to make sure that you know it isn't just all about uh, the atrocities that Israel has committed. It has to be also about the atrocities that Hamas has committed, um, because you know, it's it's easy when you see the scale of the destruction, but you know, still fourteen hundred innocent um, Israelis and uh, and two hundred hostages. It's a, a huge number in a small area to absorb. And and when we get to Gaza and we see, as you say, the scale and the destruction of everything and the complete obliteration and the language that is being used about uh, uh, about uh, Gaza, um, I, I think there, there has to be, I mean, all we can do is keep pressing um, for humanitarian aid and a ceasefire 
and release of the hostages and uh, until the pressure on Israel becomes unbearable. And that pressure has definitely built since the conflict started. The <laughs> Western governments and EU were very slow and, you know, this business about Israel's right to self-defense, that's that's a nonsense because, there, you know, there's no such thing when they're occupying uh, 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 an area. Um, so uh, they already and, occupy it. You know? And the question that you started out with, uh, the point about how many civilian casualties, how many innocent people who are... You know, civilians living their lives, the babies, the children, the the, the families who aren't just being killed, but who are been deprived, you know, basics of you know, their homes being destroyed, the relocation. How is that acceptable? You know, the Israeli government is, is you know, making all the justifications, the dehumanization, the arguments around, you know, human shields and all this, this nonsense at, at a level. But how do the American government and Western governments accept the absolute obliteration of civilians. I, I just don't understand that. No, I think uh, I think a lot of it is to do with um, guilt about the, the Holocaust. Uh, and, you know, we see where a, a, a number of Western countries are, uh, are determined to um, stand by Israel no matter what. And we see in the U.S. there has always been um, a, a recognition of uh, uh, of Israel. And I, I remember asking a, a a friend of mine who grew up in in Boston, uh, what was it about the uh, the Americans that they really uh, took Israel's side on everything? And he said, you know, Mary, we all grew up listening to stories of the Holo- Holocaust. And it's almost in in the DNA, and so I think that's a lot to do with it. Um, but I don't know. I mean, you know, the 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 the, the basic humanity on both sides has been lost. You know, um, this 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 you 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 now it seems you're either for one side or the other, and. Um, there's no proportionality or determination to protect civilians, as you say, this obliteration of uh, civilians that that we are seeing all the time. And you think of all the the people under the rubble who couldn't be saved or who might still have been be alive, you know, when recent and and you know the terror of all of that. I mean, it's 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 um it's un it's just unbearable. There's no doubt about it. So, I mean, sooner or later, there has to be a coming together. Uh, and I read something lately that Israel figures it can last out another two weeks before, uh, maybe three at the outset, before international pressure becomes uh, uh, too strong. So I'm not sure how that will play out, but certainly the only thing that will um, will at least stop momentarily for humanitarian aid and then hopefully uh, a ceasefire to allow, um, as I said, a political renewal about what where to go next. Uh, that will only come about once everybody gets together and decides 
that enough is enough. I absolutely agree with you. And I think that international pressure is, is essential. And that's why I was asking. And I do think that there's a rule, and we've, we've talked about it on this podcast here before, for the public in the demonstrations in to express itself and contacting politicians. It does make a difference in terms of shaping responses. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly does make a difference. And we've seen a very big demonstrations all over. Even, you know, in New York, when I was there, we had demonstrations um, outside the Israeli embassy. Um, and that was in the first week. And um, uh, and it, there have been, as you know yourself, there's been demonstrations all over, but it just needs to keep up. You know, it, it yeah. needs to keep up. The momentum can't be lost. Often you see in wars, people get fed up. You know, we've seen it with Afghanistan now and the situation of people in Afghanistan. We see it in Sudan at the moment where, you know, starvation has set in and the desperate crimes are taking place, particularly, you know, in Darfur against women rape and all of that kind of thing, you know, and, and nobody cares. So yeah. it's really important to keep up the the um, uh, the focus on on Gaza because of the the it, it, we've seen it all and it's it's so out of proportion and it's um, it's it's just so wrong. I mean, and you know, victims of terrorism uh, have to be protected. But counter-terrorism cannot be used um, uh, in the way that it is because it's a breach of international law. We really have to get back a bit to to that. And then in the West Bank, we see, you know, so many are being killed there as well. Um, we have um, 172 Palestinians and um, 46 children were killed by the Israeli government. And then... Hamas, uh, not Hamas, um, uh, settlers killed uh, eight, including one child. So you can see how it and everything. And, you know, the telecommunications are going to stop in two days because they've no fuel. So it'll be a complete blackout. Uh, we won't know what's happening. Is what's going on, and, and I know you, in terms of just to finish, that, what legacy is this going to leave? in terms of what the world has stood by and watched and facilitated? I really don't know. I mean, you know, every so often the world, you know, the whole Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which is 75 years old this year, was predicated on never again. And the Declaration on Human Rights Defenders, which was uh, 25 years old this year, was uh, after 13 years negotiation, it, it, it basically says that everyone has the right to promote and protect human rights without being retaliated against. And, you know, we're seeing in West Bank and, and uh, in Gaza, human rights defenders being um, being targeted because they are trying to document and monitor and because some of them have turned to humanitarian aid to try and help people. Um, and uh, smeared online and all of this kind of thing and shot at and evicted from their homes in the West Bank and all this kind of stuff. So, um, and it's been going on. I mean, it has been going on for for, for so long. Um, so, um, I don't know really what the legacy will be, but it'll certainly 
they're they're it's either uh, I think really we need we really need a reform. Everyone says it of the UN Security Council, uh, but the the powerful members won't allow that. Um, so I don't know what the legacy will be, but it it'll be a world where the normalization of killing and violence and degradation of human beings is is something that has been accepted. Yeah. And I think that's something we're all trying to, I suppose, at some level, obviously stop, but work to reassert the values of human rights and the, and the values of every life being equal, equally valuable, equally worthy of and deserving and having human rights and, and asserting that. And I do think we have to try and find some hope that that will be the outcome yeah, and that actually the the revulsion as this goes on goes to the point, and and of course, that occupation is ended, and we try, as I said, reassert those values. But it is difficult, um, for people, and but there has to be there has to be an end. That we need a ceasefire, and beyond that, as you say, there has to be a political solution as well. Yeah, it won't come very quickly, but at least it has to be a political renewal because it hasn't uh, it hasn't. Uh, you know, it hasn't been on the table um, for for really. Uh, there hasn't been much effort put into it at all, yeah. as far as I can see for for the last while. But you know, if you look at Article One of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, it's such a brilliant statement. You know, all human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights. They are endowed with reason and conscience and should act towards one another in a spirit of brotherhood. I mean, it is. And then it lists all the rights that you have as a human simply because you are human. But that's all that's all gone by the board. And I, I don't know. And for me, human rights defenders, they breed life into the rights that uh, human uh, beings are entitled to it. They breed life into, um, you know, the Universal Declaration of of Human Rights by working for the people who whose voices aren't heard and the most powerless and uh, and the ones who are most marginalised, the ethnic minorities and the poor and the disadvantaged and you know uh, so uh, I don't know how we get back to those values. Um, there was a period in the 90s where things seemed to be really uh, going in the right direction after the finish of the dictatorships in the 80s in Latin America, after the fall of the Berlin Wall, after the breakup of the Soviet Empire, you know, uh, after the end of apartheid. And things looked like they were going in the right direction. And then in the last maybe decade, there's been a backsliding on rights right across the world, right across the world. Um, Yeah. And of course, you go back to the start of the 2000s with the invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan as well. And and I think, you know, of course, we spoke earlier, there's interest, as you said, the, the power of the that's like the big powers and their interests, both economic um in different countries, of course, drives wars, the military industrial complex is still there. There's a lot of things that 
you know, have to be changed in order to stop war. Yeah, and they're, 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 uh, but it's not just the big countries, you know, it's all, I don't think there's any such thing as a good government because all governments are driven by their political and strategic interests. They all have their own little list and they all dump on their enemies and go easy on their friends. It, that's just something I've learned over the years doing human rights work. There isn't a principled, consistent line you know, when it comes to human rights abuses, um, because they, you know, they mutter under their breath if 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 it's a country that they have a strategic interest mm. for reasons of, you know, employment or reasons of um, exports or whatever, you know. So so, uh, but. And I try to say, I, I think states have thick necks. I, I say, keep talking because I talk to them all the time. I say it is quite possible to be straightforward and consistent about raising, in my case, human rights defenders who have either been killed or attacked or, or, or um, uh, uh, intimidated online um, without... Um, interfering with your special relationship or your um, strategic relationship. That, that is part and parcel of, of what it means to, you know, abide by international law and abide by the principles of the Universal Declaration and abide by the principles in the Declaration on Human Rights Defenders. Um, but I know for a fact, you know, that... Uh, you know, when you have a when a government has a dialogue, either bilateral or an EU dialogue with with a member state or with a with the a, a state where they have some interest, they they really you know they go very easy, and yeah. then they're they're all afraid of the rise of China and they're all afraid of, um, you know, yeah. Well, anyway, they all they all have their. And I suppose that does come back to then just to finish the importance of human rights defenders. Oh yeah, and the support of of um, you're doing. And maybe you could just let people know if they are interested in finding out more about human rights defenders. What where can they find it out, and what can they do to support them? Well, um, human rights defenders are people who work peacefully for the rights of others, and because of this work, all around the world. Uh, they can be killed. Uh, over 400, 400 human rights defenders are killed every year, mainly in the areas of extractive mining, uh, agribusiness, in the context of business and human rights generally. Um, um, uh, and they are also physically attacked, attacked online, uh, lose their jobs. Uh, our criminalization is still the most prevalent. Um, uh, it's the most prevalent. Uh, um, uh, what do you call it? Tool used by governments. We have mm. over. Um, I did a report to the General Assembly on human rights defenders who'd been imprisoned for longer than ten years. And these are just people that the governments concerned do not. Uh, it, it do see as a threat to their power, and they're the countries like Iran, you know, Turkey, China, Vietnam, the Gulf states, Bahrain, um, UAE, Saudi Arabia, all those kind of countries. 
And they are holding people for up to life sentence. In, you know, indeed, one of my ex-colleagues in Frontline Defenders is serving a life sentence in Bahrain um, for his peaceful human rights work there. Um, so if people want to um, want to find out more about how they can support human rights defenders, what I would do is I would go on to two things. One, uh, first of all, to learn more about them, um, uh, yeah, to go on to frontlinedefenders.org because it, 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 the organization works exclusively on, on human rights defenders and is a leader in the field. And then my own website as to what the work that I do to try and protect human rights defenders, which is sordefenders.org. And, um, but, in, in, you know, everyone can be a human rights defender. That's that's what's supposed to happen. And when you talk yeah. about people, you know, <laughs> contacting their TDs or con- getting, uh, raising their voices in the streets, that kind of thing, uh, that does have an effect on governments, you know. So yeah. I think it is really important, but it's also important. And, and of course, there's other organisations like FEDS and Amnesty International. You know, you can you can join those organisations as well. Yeah. Well, listen, Mary, it was uh, really interesting to have you on and thank you for giving your time and best of luck with all the incredible work that you're doing. Thanks very much, Rory, and uh, thank you very much. Yeah, and just for our listeners, um, before we finish up, just a reminder of the Ireland-Palestine Solidarity Campaign is holding a national demonstration this coming Saturday at one o'clock in the Garden of Remembrance. Um, and there is, as you said, you can find out more at Ireland-Palestine Solidarity Campaign, Amnesty International, uh, Frontline Defenders, as Mary mentioned. And please do keep raising your voice. Um, it's It's all we can do at the moment, but it does make a difference. Thank you so much to Mary. Thank you for listeners. And we will talk to you all very, very soon.